0: You're listening to the First Nations Infrastructure Institute podcast, audio conversations about First Nations growth and prosperity. It's my pleasure now to have Keith Matthew join me. Welcome to the podcast.
1: Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for uh, the kind invitation. I'm looking forward to this opportunity. It's
0: really neat to find out about your work as a, a board member with Finney, the First Nations Infrastructure Institute. So obviously... Building in community is important for future prosperity to you especially. Um, can you tell me a bit about your background and how it led you to that kind of work?
1: Absolutely. And and thank you again for the in- invitation to uh, talk a little bit about my experiences because, uh, you know, as uh, as an Indigenous person from uh, the Simp First Nation, which is about uh, 45 minutes north of uh, Kamloops, we're a little bit uh, located in uh, uh, the area um, we're a very small rural community, uh, about 800 uh, people, two-thirds of which live off reserve. And uh, I grew up there. And uh, uh, I guess, you know, uh, I was, my father, Wilf Matthew, and my mother, uh, Dolores Matthew, both went to the uh, Camels Indian Residential School. My father was the chief of our community for a while. They were They were taught to be... Uh, my father was taught to be a rancher, and my mother was uh, taught to be a homemaker. So my dad, who was the chief of our community for a while, he would, uh, he would work eight hours at the uh, local sawmill as a lumber grader, and uh, then he would uh, come home and uh, put in another eight hours at our ranch. So the uh, the earliest lessons I had in working, I had to uh, drive our tractor to pick up hay during the summer and do irrigation and feed the cows in winter, while my dad was busy out, you know, making money for our family. We weren't poor; we always had food on the table. And so you
0: come by your work ethic honestly. I mean, you had a good role model to follow.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, and and uh, and and part of that story was learning how to drive our tractor when I was eight years old learning how to drive stick. And uh, my, uh, my older brother, Willie, he said, uh, I have three rules for you when you're driving tractor. And I said, yeah, what are they? And he was a mean guy, he was a really mean guy, but the toughest guy and a protector of our family. And uh, he said, number one, don't, uh, don't ride the clutch, because you'll burn out the throat ring. The second one is, uh, you know, you don't pop the clutch. Because uh, when you pop the clutch and there's hay on the on the wagon, you'll dump it over. And he said, the third rule is if you dump the the wagon, you got to pick it all up. <laughs> so you learn early. Uh, you learn early in 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 ranching uh, what what your place is, and uh, you learn how to work hard. And it was the best experience in the world, you know. And uh, my memories of. Uh, Living on our ranch were, were awesome because during hanging season, all the, the kids from uh, the local uh, houses in, in our uh, south of Chuchua, that's what we're, the place called Chuchua, um, they would come and help us because they knew they'd get fed. And, I you know, it was the best of times because you'd be working really hard and after you're done, you'd be uh, sitting around the table eating and laughing and joking and you'd be laughing and joking out in the field, too, when you're picking up the hay. And the best part was sitting around at the end of the day, eating a, a huge, huge pile of food and, and just enjoying each other's company. You know, those are, those are the great memories that I had of growing up.
0: Take me on, on your infrastructure journey. Where were you maybe, you know, 10 or 15 years ago? And where are you today?
1: You know, it's it's interesting that uh, that you would say that because um, for us in my community, the Sim First Nation, we have uh, a, 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 an infrastructure deficit, and um, a lot of our opportunities aren't necessarily on my in on my reserve lands, and uh, the focus was always on external major projects. So when I was uh, when I first started my career as a politician, as a counselor, I had the economic development portfolio. And uh, uh, the first deal that uh, we struck was with uh, Mike Wiggly Helicopter Skiing, which is a world-class heli-skiing operation, by the way, in our, right in the heart of our territory. It's the biggest tenure in our territory. And uh, we, um, uh, we had an opportunity to build um, a $7 million heli-skiing lodge and we found out in a hurry that we didn't have the wherewithal or the balance sheet as a community to uh actually uh realize that opportunity and it was a real shock to me because uh you know I thought uh, I thought we were doing uh, relatively well at that time and uh you know we went to our bank and uh and they said uh no we're we're not going to we're not going to help you with this opportunity Because at that time in Southern British Columbia, there was uh, other, um, uh, the casino of the Rockies, and our bank was uh, first in line for uh, uh, liability around uh, whether or not that operation, uh, if it failed, and it did. So uh, that that really influenced the bank and whether or not they're gonna help us, and uh, they didn't help us at first
0: valuable lesson i imagine
1: <laughs> yes uh but we went out and talked to the other banks in the council area and uh eventually our bank uh came around it, it, would, would it be uh would it be a problem if i said their name no, no. it was royal bank of canada they were <laughs> our banker uh, of record and they still are the risk managers in toronto said no, you guys are too big of a risk and uh Eventually what happened in 2003, there was uh, uh, fires in, the su- in, in, our, in our area. We lost half of our subdivision in one of our um, reserve lands in Lewis Creek. As a result of those fires, we got a salvage permit for uh, uh, salvaging a whole bunch of that wood. And uh, we jumped on that opportunity. We made a bunch of money. And we used that for our down payment on uh, the uh, heli skiing lodge, so we were able to uh, come out of the fire, so to speak, yeah. uh, with uh, with a real asset. And that was that was the start of our journey for um, for us. So when you talk about infrastructure, our opportunities were always off reserve because we didn't have we don't have much of a taxation base. The biggest uh, uh, potential tax for us would be uh, CN Rail, and they're not they're not budging. They're not budging. They said, uh, I sat down with them when I was uh, on council and uh, they said, well, come and see us when uh, you're serious and uh, we need to be able to uh, bring them to the table, but we also need a lot of help to do that. So they always said, uh, uh, settle your issues with the federal government and uh, around our right of way, and then we'll come and talk to you. So there's some unfinished business there that I think needs to be addressed They've got a right of way through our community. It's uh, I think it's I think it's 16 and a half, 66 and a half feet. It crosses our Lewis Creek Reserve and cuts us off from access to the road because the Highway Number Five runs right through there. It cuts through our our, our IR Number One, which is where I live currently. Uh, and they've got about a, a fifteen or twenty kilometer uh, right of way right through the middle of our reserve, and then our uh, Little Fort Reserve uh, up you're just north of us. Again, it cuts off uh, our access to uh, a ferry that comes into into our reserve as well. So infrastructure is a big issue, huge.
0: I was really impressed when you mentioned when we met yesterday about the type of uh, revenue you're generating with your development corporation. A lot of smaller communities would be extremely envious to see that kind of development, but was that part of a, a, a very well-defined strategy that you wanted to go out and?
1: Oh, absolutely! Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I said, um, the first opportunity for us uh, when I had the uh, economic development portfolio. So we 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 were successful in getting an agreement with Mike Wiggly Helicopter Skiing, but there was also other agreements around uh, independent power projects. So Bone Creek Hydro, uh, we negotiated. Uh, uh, gross overriding revenue with that particular project and opportunities to buy in at later stages. So um, I think that 20-year agreement is coming up soon, and we have an opportunity to buy up to 49% of that project or more if we play our cards right. And uh, the revenue numbers for that particular project spike up to almost $8 million a year, you know, just on one project alone. So there was that. There was fiber agreements with uh, some of the majors up in our territory. Um, and uh, in 2007, we had an opportunity to uh, um, negotiate an uh, agreement with uh, Kinder Morgan at the time around the Anchor Loop project. So the Anchor Loop project went from uh, Jasper, which is part of our territory, all the way down to uh, Rearguard Falls and Vailmont. And we knew at the time that uh, we were going to leave Leave some money on the table, but we knew that there was going to be a, a twinning of the, uh, the the line, and we would use that experience to leverage up. So in 2007, we uh, participated in the National Energy Board hearings, and uh, that was part of our strategy to push back in the company and tell them, you know, we want to we want to delay in the project of uh, six months so we can properly do our due diligence. And uh, we appeared at hearings in Calgary. And we lost the decision, but we weren't really too worried about not winning because we wanted to show them that we're serious. So it was all part of our longer-term strategy, and uh, we didn't expect to win. But uh, it was a great experience, and what it do- what it did for us, it really got us in the game. And we found out as soon as we signed, like. After that, when then then we started sitting down and doing the negotiations in earnest with uh, Kinder Morgan. And at that time, we folded up our Simp Development Corporation, which is a money-losing venture, uh, around a mill. And, uh, and then uh, we started up our current Simp Resources Limited. So it was started in 2007. We also did a, a Heritage Trust, which uh, we endowed with the first settlement from our Kinder Morgan Agreement. And that goes towards part of it goes towards uh um uh securing our future as uh so people so uh there's a granting process that our young people are using to rebuild our language our history our culture and uh it's so it's so cool to see that uh our young people are are becoming uh uh linguists and learning our our language and you know doing uh Doing service to our community, which uh, we had just hoped about, but never had the resources.
0: Well, that's really the end game, isn't it? It's it's not infrastructure for infrastructure's sake or building's sake. It's what that lets you do after in terms of health, health and safety, culture.
1: Absolutely. You know, and and those those areas that you talk about, they're not typically funded or they're funded by, excuse me, they're funded by... uh, proposal-driven, you know, initiatives to other governments who really don't, they don't care about my culture. They're the ones that took it away. And, uh, you know, I think they have a responsibility to help us get back to where we once were, but we also have a responsibility to ourselves to do whatever we can to rebuild it without anyone's assistance, Not uh, not because it's not... In the interests of the uh, general public, but because we have to, mm-hmm. there's a real urgency. We're losing uh, we're losing fluent speakers every day, and you know, once those fluent speakers are gone, so is our language and uh, our worldview. And I think we have something valuable to add to uh, Canadian society, whether Canadians believe it or not. Um, we need to do that for ourselves, and uh, just just to be uh healthy whole people you know uh, yeah. so weapons gene is my language but uh i i sat as a, uh so habam cultural education society i was a chairman for uh about 5 or 6 years when i was uh starting my career as a politician as well and i was the uh, chairman of the uh cultural centers movement here in canada as well for several years okay. so I've worked hard with the elders and making sure that uh, they get heard and that their teachings live on, you know, through, through us. Yeah. Uh,
0: There's a a process that's been underway for some time now to have the Infrastructure Institute become part of the Fiscal Management Act. Yes. And can you tell me why that's important and what it would do?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I I, I worked on the uh, FMA back in the early days and, uh, you know, I, I need to I need to pay my due respects to Manny. Uh, Manny Jules. Is, yeah. yeah, he's he's a visionary. And uh he is he is the most dynamic force in uh indigenous politics, in my opinion. Uh with anyone. And uh uh I worked on getting the legislation through um and You know, I I recall a meeting where we were at uh, Hotel Laurier in uh, Ottawa. And it was an Assembly of First uh, Nations-sponsored meeting around the uh, legislation because it was part of the consultation process. And uh, we are seeking the support of the General Assembly. And uh, I was there on behalf of, uh, I forget who it was now, but uh, I was a voting delegate. And the other people that uh, were in the room um, advocating around the uh, legislation, it was uh, Chief Joe Muskokamon, Chippewas of the Thames, and uh, Chief Tom Brissett, Chippewas of Kettle and Stony Point. And uh, it was just the three of us. The rest of the room was a hostile audience. So we got up to the speakers and, uh, or we got up to the mics and... uh, We talked about, uh, you know, the need for this legislation. And uh, at the end of the day, um, we held them off as best we could. It was about 97 to 3. (laughs) And uh, they called for a vote. And we got the, the motion was voted down 97 to 3. But that was a valuable learning experience for me. Because the guys that I'm talking about, uh, Chief Muskokamon and Chief, uh, the Chief of Kettle and Stony Point, uh, Big Tom. Um, there were some of my uh, uh, mentors along with Phil Fontaine. I, I was his political advisor for six years. And, uh, you know, those guys are legendary. Just legendary in politics. They're just incredible statesmen. Great people. And uh, they, you know, they, along with Manny, saw a need for this legislation. And all you have to do is look around and and see um, what that uh, legislation has done for the communities. And and it's easy to uh, uh, take a look at the key performance indicators for um, that initiative. You take a look at uh, the amount of communities that are using it today. There's over 340 that are signed up to the schedule.
0: So that's they're either working with the tax commission or the finance authority or financial management board, yep. Uh, Lands advisory board also on the, Absolutely, yeah.
1: Yep. And yeah. and the chief uh, chief Rob Louie is going to be uh, around this conference the next couple of days, and it's good because we all need to work together. But uh, the need for that legislation was clear. Um,
0: so what's yeah. it do for Finney then, if if the amendment goes through and
1: and you're part of that? What does it do for you? It. Uh, it will uh you know there was there was uh there was always a fourth institution that was uh planned under the uh f m a and it was around uh first Nations statistical institute but uh for whatever reason uh it wasn't a successful institution like the other three that you mentioned and uh you know that w- that was a proposal that we'd collect. Information from uh, our collect our own information, and as you're probably well aware, information is power. Statistics are power, and uh, in this instance, the uh, Finney First Nations Inf- in- Infrastructure Institute is uh, uh, it's the proposed fourth uh, institution. There's a. a um, A report out by the AFN that talks about the uh, uh, infrastructure gap in our communities, which is growing, and over 20 years, it's supposed to be projected at uh, 74 billion dollars. And if you take a look at any of the other statistics uh, in terms of uh, our our membership growing. We've got a, a growing population, as everyone knows. Um, statistically, it's younger than the Canadian population as a whole. And uh, our needs for infrastructure are, are growing in leaps and bounds, you know, because uh, we're becoming forces in, uh, in economic development, as you mentioned. Um, and uh, we need a place for our people to live, and, uh, you know, we need a place for our schools. We need a place for our children. We need a place for you know, calling our our home and and uh, quality of life indicators: clean water, uh, security services, uh, paved roads. Uh, you know, other infrastructure like having uh, fire hydrants in front of all of our homes, lighting. You know, just real basic stuff. <laughs> but those are those are key quality of life indicators that yeah. everyone in municipalities takes. Uh, for granted because the municipality takes care of all those things. So there's a trade-off, right? The social, the social uh, uh, contract with uh, the tax collection is that you receive services. And those services are key performance indicators around quality of life for, for us as First Nations people. And we need to see that. The other thing that, uh, that, that we need to see is, and I, I can see it at the Sun Rivers Development uh, in Kamloops, Building equity in our homes, you know? I, I have a mortgage on my reserve, and uh, I was I, I was very lucky to get it. It was really hard to do um, because uh, Hernando de Soda, a noted uh, Peruvian economist, calls uh, my home dead capital.
0: Dead capital.
1: Yeah, because I, I, I pay into a mortgage, and I have no opportunity for reselling. I can resell to one of my community members, but far below any sort of market value. I, I would take a huge loss. So you know that's a situation that some of our communities find ourselves. Yeah. but um, you know many have solved that equation by you know uh, providing real property tax as a way to build those services around you know his community. But building equity in homes, man. My dad always said, "If if you, you should buy a house off reserve." And now I look back and I think, "Yeah, Dad, you're right." Yeah.
0: Pride <laughs> of ownership. You know?
1: Pride of ownership, but yeah. a, uh, building equity. You know, that's what every other Canadian in in, in the country is doing. That big uh, housing bubble that's out there right now. You know, people were were buying houses up like crazy. And, you know, we're, we're, we're caught in the middle of it as Indigenous people. Um, as a, for instance, in my community, we've got uh, uh, over 300 direct and indirect uh, employees through our, our Sync Resources group. And it's hard to attract talent at the best of times in a rural community for your upper management. Um, but you throw in the lack of housing in our local uh, uh, communities, and the problem becomes extreme. You know, so we're looking at uh, ways to alleviate that that housing crunch in in our in our area through a combination of social housing and and uh, looking at uh, creating our own housing stock through um, uh, off reserve. Yeah.
0: I'm just aware of our time, and I know you need to get back in as uh, as the conference starts. But just in wrapping up, well, what we'll do, too, in the show notes, we'll include your phone number, uh, perhaps your email address. And, and your website. Yep. We'd like to encourage people to go to your website yep. to see what you've been up to. Thank you very much for your time. I appreciate it. If you'd like to book a workshop to see how the Institute can support your nation, visit fnii.ca slash resources. There you'll find webinars and tools such as business case templates, procurement models, technical papers, and much, much more, all at fnii.ca slash resources. I'm Richard Perry. Thanks for listening.